scripture lesson today comes from the final verses of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 44 to 53. This is Luke's presentation of the ascension of Christ, which happens 40 days after the resurrection. Then Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending you what my Father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, He withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple blessing God. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord God, on this weekend of memory and flags of concert and parade... May the words and music of this service lift us into your presence. Bless us and lead us to be a blessing for others. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So one of the underappreciated aspects of the Christian faith and of the stages of the life and destiny of Jesus Christ is the ascension. Even those barely initiated into faith know the story of Christ's birth. We know the story of his death. We know the story of his resurrection. But even though after we say on the third day he arose again from the dead, we add he ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty, few of us distinguish between the resurrection when the church is full and the lilies are in bloom and the ascension Forty days later, on a weekday, when the pace of spring activities has accelerated, the peace of summer is within sight, and graduation parties abound throughout the neighborhood. With good weather, it is easy for the ascension to get lost. But consider this. If Christ had only been raised from the dead... He would have continued to live and lead the disciples in and around Jerusalem, presumably preaching, teaching, and healing. If Christ had only been raised from the dead, he either, like Lazarus, would have died again, and then what would have happened? Or he would have lived forever and become known for his longevity rather than for his victory over death. If Christ had only been raised from the dead, it is unlikely that Christianity would have spread from its birthplace within Palestinian Judaism and become the world religion it has become. 
Christ's ascension has several Old Testament parallels. It occurs 40 days after his resurrection, commemorating Israel's 400 years of slavery, 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, and Christ's own 40 days and nights of temptation and testing. When Christ ascends into heaven, it is reminiscent of Elijah the prophet ascending in a whirlwind accompanied by chariots of fire. When Elijah leaves the mantle of prophecy behind to fall upon his successor, Elisha, it is like Christ leaving the mantle of preaching and teaching and healing behind to fall upon his disciples, a mantle they passed on to us for our day and time. Yet for all its importance, only Luke narrates the ascension of Christ once at the conclusion of his gospel and once again at the beginning of the book of Acts, which he also wrote. His ascension narratives are sparse. From Luke, then Jesus led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, He blessed them while he was blessing them. He withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And then from Acts, when Jesus has said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Sparse narrative of an unsparse event. Ten days later, the gift of the Spirit is given at Pentecost, which we will celebrate next Sunday. And with that, the disciples begin their mission of bearing witness to Christ throughout the earth. In a sense, the church is born and Christianity takes off, but it all happens after the ascension. Today I want to focus briefly on one aspect of the ascension, the aspect of blessing. Specifically, Luke says, while Jesus was blessing his disciples, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. The last experience the disciples have of Jesus in person is the ascension. The last memory they have is of Him blessing them. The last memory is the memory of being blessed. Thomas Troger, who's a hymn writer and homiletician at Yale, points out that because Christ was taken up while He was blessing His disciples, they were able to experience that blessing as an ongoing reality that did not end with his departure, but remained with them throughout their lives. As the disciples pick up the mantle of mission in the book of Acts, they face bitterness, resistance, persecution. Some are imprisoned, some are shipwrecked, some are assailed by angry mobs. Yet the last memory they have from the ascension is the memory of Him blessing them. The last memory is being blessed by Christ. Thus they are able to carry on, even when carrying on is the last thing they have the confidence to do. 
Because the last memory they have is that of being blessed, they are able to bless God and to bless others. The last memory is blessing. In our lives and in our faith, we inherit indirectly the blessing that the disciples received directly. We live with it and from it as if it is a trust fund which has paid for our education or helped make the down payment on our first house. Though we are not present at the ascension to receive the blessing directly, we inherit its memory and its experience through blessings that we received indirectly, usually through other people. When my own father was dying, I was a freshman in college. One value of spending his last seven days by his bedside was to receive a blessing. Early in those seven days, I told him that I was pretty sure I was going to become a minister and not the doctor that he, like so many parents of his generation, had hoped their children would become. A few days later, he could no longer talk, and he could only move one side of his body. But he still wrapped his mobile arm around first my brother and then me. And he nodded his head because he could not speak, as if to approve and confirm who we were who we had become, who we would be. It was the last time I saw him move under his own power. And I took his lifting of the arm and nodding as physical signs of blessing. Blessing he was in the act of bestowing at the time of his departure. Blessing that has shaped me in ways I am probably not fully able to realize or to appreciate The last memory is blessing. One of the great Irish poets of the 20th century is is Galway Cannell. In his poem, St. Francis and the Sow, Cannell is able to place himself and his reader in the heart and mind of a sow who has recently given birth, and who in the exhaustion and demands on her body of motherhood can no longer sense that she is blessed. The bud stands for all things, even for those things that don't flower, for everything flowers from within of self-blessing. Though sometimes it is necessary to reteach a thing its loveliness, to put a hand on its brow of the flower and retell it in words and in touch, it is lovely until it flowers again from within of self-blessing. As St. Francis put his 
hand on the creased forehead of the sow and told her in words and in touch blessings of the earth on the sow. And the sow began remembering all down her thick length from the earthen snout all the way through the fodder and slops and the spiritual curl of the tail from the hard spininess spiked out from the spine down through the great broken heart to the sheer blue milken dreaminess spurting and shuddering from the 14 teats into the 14 mouths, sucking and blowing beneath them the long, perfect loveliness of the sow. While Jesus was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. Not just self-blessing, but in words and in touch, the blessings of Jesus Christ. The memory of blessing. Like many of you, I've been thinking and reading a lot lately about the nation in which we live and who's fallen we recognize this weekend. Beyond blessing that we experience or remember in our lives with God, I've been thinking about the sense we have that our nation has been blessed, that we are or at least have been one nation under God. I've been wondering what, if anything, that blessing means in our time. Heading into Memorial Day weekend, David Brooks published a column entitled The Four American Narratives. He starts it by saying, America has always been a divided, sprawling country. But for most of its history, it was held together by a unifying national story. An exodus story. The story of leaving the oppressions of the old world, of venturing into a wilderness and creating a new promised land. In this story, America was the fulfillment of human history, the last best hope of the earth. That story, Brooks says, rested upon an amazing level of national self-confidence, It was an explicitly Judeo-Christian story built on a certain view of God's providential plan. We might add that story was built on a sense of blessing. But then Brooks goes on. This civic mythology of blessing no longer unifies us. American confidence is in tatters and we live in a secular culture. As a result, we're suffering through a national identity crisis. Different groups see themselves living out different national stories and often feel that they are living 
in different nations. Citing two other writers, Brooks presents four rival narratives that he sees going on in American culture today. The libertarian America, the globalized America, the multicultural America, and America first. He then offers a narrative that he believes will be best for our nation. And he labels it the talented community. This story, Brooks says, sees America as history's greatest laboratory for the cultivation of human abilities. This model welcomes diversity, meritocracy, immigration, open trade, for all the dynamism that these things unleash. But this model also invests massively in human capital, especially the young and those who suffer from the downsides of creative destruction. In this community, the poor boy and girl are enmeshed in care and cultivation. Everything is designed to arouse energy and propel social mobility. Brooks then concludes, the talented community sees America as a new Athens, a creative crossroads leading to an open and fundamentally harmonious world. It is, he says, an exodus story for an information age. I don't know that David Brooks has any greater handle on what America can be going forward than any others who think and write and hope and pray. And I am too much a creature of the fall not to be a bit skeptical of a vision that assumes the world can be fundamentally harmonious. But I share with the basically secular David Brooks a sense that there is something about the American story that has sought to live up to a sense of blessing from providence, a sense of blessing from God. Just as the disciples' last memory of Christ is His blessing that propels them into their brave new world, perhaps the most important task lying before us as a nation is, like the sow, to recover a sense that we have been blessed by God. Cannell says, sometimes, sometimes, it is necessary to reteach a thing its loveliness. Even more hopeful, perhaps a rekindled sense of, bland, of blessing can take us into the future not in a way that makes us arrogant or insular or self-congratulatory, not in a way that leads us to overlook our sins of the past and present, both of which a sense of blessing can often lead individuals and groups to do. But perhaps a renewed sense of blessing can propel us into the future in a way that leads us to share with others that which has been most beautiful within us. On this Memorial Day weekend, I dare pray that the last memory of those who have given their lives for our, our country 
was a sense of blessing on the nation they were serving, on the people they loved, on the sacrifice they made. I dare pray as well that we who live in our nation today as soldier, as civil servant, as citizen, have a memory of blessing, a rekindled sense of loveliness. One cannot properly receive a blessing without a desire to pass it on. The long, perfect loveliness of the sow is the mantle that we have been giving, given to relearn and to share. Amen.